Hello, and welcome to the Divorced Dadvocate, Divorce Support for Dads, where we help dads create a healthy and less traumatic divorce. My name is Jude Sandoval, and I'm your host. I created this podcast in the Divorce Advocate community as a result of my own high-conflict divorce, and because you as a dad deserve all the resources necessary to thrive through this challenging time. I encourage you to check out our website at thedivorcedadvocate.com, where there are resources that correspond to this episode, as well as free access to our membership community, where you will find live meetings, free workshops and courses, private discussion groups, and more. And now on to this week's episode. Hello, a quick show note that if you would like to hear this full episode, head over to the website at thedivorcedadvocate.com and become a member of our The Divorced Advocate membership community where you can hear this full episode of our awesome roundtable that we have talking about, are you a Tom Brady? And you will be able to find out if all of us on the round table are a Tom Brady and if you are a Tom Brady. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dads Dating After Divorce. My name is Jude Sandoval. I am your host, and uh, my co-host here is... My name is Ralph, but I go by the pen name DSO, which stands for Dad Starting Over. I'm the founder of dadstartingover.com and author of several books, including the popular Dead Bedroom Fix. Oh, man, Ralph, you always remember to promote yourself, and I always forget to promote myself. <laughs> I am the founder of the Divorce Dad Kit, <laughs> a website that helps dads create a healthy and less traumatic divorce. And we've got a great show today. Our topic is, or actually the title is, Are You a Tom Brady? And we're going to get into that in just a minute, but uh, I want to introduce our guest today, Ralph. And that is, those men are that you see and hear are the madmen of masculinity from Mad Men Radio right here in my hometown of Denver, Colorado on KLDC 1220 AM, Jason B. Kendrick and Kirk Hey, Kirk, you don't have your M up there. Kirk M. You're right. Samuels. I know, man. He's <laughs> man, throwing you curveballs already. I know, got... oh, man. I didn't know <laughs> there was homework. <laughs> Welcome, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Appreciate you being here. So we're talking about this uh, Tom Brady divorce, Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchin. If you're living under a rock or maybe you're listening from somewhere else uh, in the world, Tom Brady is a probably one of the greatest of all time American football players has been in the league for I think 22 years, something like that. 12, 14, 15 Pro Bowls and four or five or six Super Bowl titles and MVPs and just an, an amazing athlete, net worth of over $400 million. Giselle, they're, they've been married about 13 years, I believe, or were married 13 years. She was a was or is still, I guess, a, a supermodel that um then uh they had uh, two kids together and uh and then apparently things have gone south so let's just start uh let's just start with uh the madmen's take on what's going on with this i know i've got uh, a few ideas of my own but um 
you know, Jason, what what are your thoughts? You're you're sharing something a little bit when we are we're offline starting out here. Well, you know, to 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 be a, try to be a good guest, I tried to do a little bit of research, but of course, uh, when I got on after YouTube, your nap, yeah, yeah, after my Thank after you. my nap, you know, yeah. I have to have my old man nap. I uh, did a little bit of research, but of course, the uh, kind of feminist leading narrative was that you know Giselle gave up everything for Tom. And he said that he was only going to play 10 more years after they got together. Then it's been 13 years and he retired. Then he turned around and said he was playing again. Um, So, yeah, from that perspective, from what I was seeing, it looks like, okay, well, there was just a difference of opinion and whatnot. But uh, honestly, I cannot tell because I'm not there. But one of the things I did really pick up on was the fact that he is definitely one of those. He wants to be the greatest of all time. He's driven. Football is probably the most important thing to him. And he even says that if it's not about football, he doesn't really care kind of thing. Like football is the most important thing. And if you marry somebody like that, you have to accept that that's who they are. And I think this comes down to another one of those things where he may have had good intentions and said, well, I'm only going to play 10 years and only go for one Super Bowl. And then, and then he's like, oh, maybe I can be the greatest of all time. And he's got that drive and mindset. So as he is who he is. And I think she kind of realized that she couldn't change him like maybe she thought. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think, Kirk? <laughs> Kirk, you you agree with that, or yeah? So, okay, it's well, not like, it's not like this guy stopped changing over 13, 13 years. It's like like he stopped loving football, and it seems to me, and from all indications through their relationship, that he's been a pretty active and involved father. He was married once before. He's got a son from that marriage. That son's been integrated with their their new children, and it's kind of like they've done that co-parenting thing with Bridget Moynihan, and they've uh, they, they've uh, brought families together. He's he talks about his kids all the time. If you listen to his podcast, he talks about his kids, and they're pretty involved. And and so, you know, Kirk, this this guy's not just a footballer who's possessed about what about playing football all the time and has just tuned out everything else he's he's an active father he cares and so you know what 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 else could she possibly really want i understand that she's saying oh well he said he was going to retire he's not going to retire now yeah you know i think uh I think in the big picture, probably the big takeaway for all of us is that no one's immune, right? No one's immune to um, to having to balance everything on every side of life, and no one's immune to uh, to even in the even in the the pursuit and journey of success and being the greatest and all those kinds of things. You know, still having the home life to balance and still being able to uh, to maintain all of those kinds of things. It's it's not easy. It's hard. You know, just in the last year or two. You know, besides Tom Brady, we've seen Jeff Bezos, you know, marriage fall apart. We've seen Bill Gates, you know, marriage fall apart. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, that, you know, uh, us as men, you know, it, it, I, I think sometimes it, it does come down to, you know, it, it maybe it's a bigger question of can we can we do it all? Can we have it all? Can you pursue, you know, every level of success and greatness in, in every capacity and still um you know and, and still achieve success and all those things i don't know it's a rhetorical question but it's kind of like that scene in in castaway you know when he was on the raft but 
you know, but the volleyball started to get away and he jumped off the raft trying to get the volleyball. And sometimes we got to choose, you know, what's more important, your raft or your volleyball. Um, and uh, maybe maybe we can't have it all. But either way, in the big picture, I think, you know, if nothing else, it's an eye opener that none of us are immune to the ups and downs of life, including, you know, the challenges in relationships and the primary relationships in our home. Right. Which is uh, goes to our, our title, which is, are you a Tom Brady, too? And are, are we immune to that? It, it, Jason, Ralph, Jason brought up an interesting point about the feminist perspective on this. And then Kirk also brought up the perspective about after 13, 15, however many years, many of these high achieving men have had a wife that said, I'm just done. I'm just mm-hmm. done. So, you know, man, what, what do we do? Like, what do we do as men? If we're, we're missional, our masculine nature in general is, is missional. We want to, we want to try to balance that. Like Kirk said, as as fathers and as husbands or boyfriends or whatever mm-hmm. your relational status is, but you know, how do we look out for that? How do we balance that? This just seems like it seems like these women after a certain period of time just go, yeah, I was kind of into it in the beginning, but now after a decade or whatever, I, I, it's just, you know, boring or not that interesting or, I'm looking for something else. Apparently, Giselle's dating some jujitsu guy now. I mean, it's literally weeks after, right? So mm. that's another interesting component. Yeah. Well, I mean, this begs the question of, um, I wonder if she was less of a uber successful supermodel type, if their chances of success would have increased. This is kind of a um, politically incorrect Really kind of a touchy subject, but if she had fewer options financially in life, would she have been hooked to this man more securely as opposed to a woman who's got hundreds of millions in the bank and looks like a million bucks? I mean, for goodness sake, they're two of the most attractive human beings on the planet. Right. right. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think that helps things. And the money thing doesn't help things. So it's kind of interesting when we say, man, if, if it could happen to these people, it could happen to any of us. I think the case could be made that uh, if there's a couple for where it's most likely to not work out, they may be the poster children for that. Two people very much uh, not depending on each other financially, two people who could go get anyone they want sexually, I guess if you want to say that. Um, Boy, it's going to take a lot of work to keep them together. And uh, you got a guy who's like, I'm very mission driven and I'm gone a lot of the time. And uh, good luck, wife. Hope you enjoy the time with the kiddos and everything else. But hey, I got my mission, you know, it is what it is. Um, none of us know what the hell's going on behind the scenes, but I think just on the surface, any kind of therapist type person would look at that and go, good freaking luck, dude. This is going to be tough. And the fact they made it work for 13 years, that's pretty good. So I don't know what the tipping point was. It it does seem to be the whole retiring and unretiring thing seems to be it. I I don't know, be quite honest with you. And there was rumors of a um, dead bedroom situation. I don't know if you had read that where it was instigated by instigated by him. I read that in some news article that in divorce papers or something like that, she cited a um, um, bedroom issues and uh, she wasn't getting her needs met. He wasn't around. He was absent. There was no physical intimacy anymore between them. Who knows what's going on there, but kind of interesting. It sounds like another case of kind of two high performers, two kind of one percenters who have goals and have dreams and want to be top performers. 
not being able to step down. Maybe in looking at the interviews and things she did, she was like, well, I gave up my career. I gave Mm -hmm. up these things to be the stay at home mom and to take care of the kids. And he was only going to play for so long. And then he decided not to. And I think it may have come down to, she thought they had an agreement where he, she was going to support him. And then he was going to turn around and support her as she went back to do whatever. I'm not sure being a mother of three or two when going back to being a supermodel, maybe that's a thing. I don't know. Most, most of the evidence goes the other direction, but maybe she has other, no. you know, irons in the fire, but it just seems like there was a, a, a feeling of they she, or they both thought they had an agreement and then some minds got changed because they didn't follow the path they had agreed upon. But of course, not being there, not knowing, I just see, we, we actually did an episode recently about expectations. And one of the things I posted on that or talked about was maybe not going for the 10 because that becomes that has a whole lot of baggage, you know, that one percenter or that 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 10 person, there's a lot that goes with that that you may not be able to handle. Maybe look for a six, seven, or eight who's still fairly attractive, but will appreciate you more. And it has less of the baggage and less of the risks of somebody else trying to swoop in all the time. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. There's a uh, phenomenon that's relatively new. Actually, it's not new as far as uh, taking place, but it's new as far as it's so stinking obvious now, which is we have a relatively small number of men getting all the women. Mm-hmm. And and we see that in the online dating world where, you know, and the, the people that run like, okay, Cupid put out a whole bunch of data in regards to yeah. this, which was very interesting. And yeah. they showed that, wow, a very, very small percentage of men. And all the women are like, I'm going for that upper echelon dude. And the story for a lot of those women, you know, by their older, more wise women in their life say, sweetheart, he has a lot of women at his disposal. You're trying to nab a guy who could get any, he has dozens of women that are calling on him and good luck. You know, if he's a multi-billionaire on a private jet flying all over the place and he's got women jumping all over him, you as the potential partner to that guy, your work just went up exponentially. Always got to look your best. Always got to, always got to be worried about the, the other woman. So yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. It's good freaking luck. If you try to get with the one percenter, not necessarily the best, uh, partner candidate, long-term partner candidate. Yeah. Yeah, To my understanding, she made uh, more than him. Right. So, uh, so initially we're not, we're we're, we're, so we're not talking about Mm -hmm. a scenario where, you know, started from the bottom and now we're at the top and neither, you know, she didn't have anything and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. She was just the, the woe is me, you know, just the poor little mom sitting at home and she made the, I mean, made the sacrifice for the family and all that kind of stuff. I mean, she had a thriving career. She's a freaking supermodel. Right. So, um, so, you know, in this scenario, you know, back to the point of, man, nobody really needs each other. Like, you know, in that, in that relationship dynamic, it's like, you know, to your point, I can get whoever I want. Well, really? Well, so can I, you know, I can fly here and there. I got my career. Well, really? So do I. You know, and so then it comes down to, you know, who's it more important to in terms of, okay, maybe we need kind of a, a relationship timeout here. Maybe we need to reset this thing and and figure out, you know, what our relationship priority is. You know, we're we're in this marriage, uh, but we're miserable. And, you know, me, I, I've, I'm a two-time, you know, full disclosure, I'm a two-time offender when it comes to divorce. Um, and it's a completely miserable situation to be in where you're with somebody and you're married to somebody, but everybody's miserable. You're in a, a paper relationship, but there's no connection. Right. And so 
you know, even if you're going different directions and traveling different, you know, different parts of the world and all those kinds of things, pursuing your own thing, it's still a miserable situation to be in. And, and then, you know, normally at some point, somebody says something, um, calls out the elephant in the room. And, you know, that can kind of be the beginning of the end. I think the whole retiring, unretiring was like him saying, okay, you know, fine, you know, I hear you. Let's get together. Let's do the therapy counseling and we'll make this whole thing happen. And then it was like, wait a minute. I'm a NFL quarterback, right? This is who I am. So without that, you know, now what? And a lot of those athletes have an identity crisis once they retire anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, where do you find your identity? And in this case, guys, since we're all guys and primarily we're even talking about a guy, where do you find your identity? Where do you find your purpose? Where do you find your priority? And I think in that case, man, he retired for a minute <laughs> and uh, he a did a couple of trips to the grocery store and, you know, and he, he was like, all right, man, now what, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, this is, you know, it, it's a lot of complexities I, I would imagine in that scenario. So you both bring up a really interesting point in the context of modern dating, right? In, in the fact that, all right, she's, she was a supermodel, but she's also dating Ralph's a great looking guy, just highly successful, engaged father, uh, et cetera. Is she going to really do better than that? I mean, is it not, is she going to get out in that dating world and, and really be able to do better than Tom Brady? And, and, and I put that in the context of do women really need men anymore? Because she made her own money. They make their own money. And if we're out there in the dating world, so, and and then Jason talked about the year, you guys' episode on expectations. Maybe there's something we need to be doing a little bit better in our communication up front about either in our communication up front with who we're dating or in our values and in, in our, in our beliefs of what we want when we get into a relationship and clearly convey those. And that might, mm-hmm. you know, Jason talked about instead of looking for the tens, look for the six to eight. So they're going to get you more, but maybe that's also like, you know, the, the world out there is saying, go out and achieve and become a supermodel or become your CEO of whatever. But what I want is I want a family and I want traditional values. I want to be the bread earner. I want to be uh, missional. I want you to be uh, about the house and the home, et cetera. And while that might sound, I, I don't think it sounds misogynistic. I think that's fine if that's what you are setting the expectations up for up front. Yeah. I think there's a, since there's such a big, such a big push towards independence on both sides you know, men have kind of had that, you know, independent Lone Ranger streak for a long time and we'll suck it up and be okay. And now the ladies are getting there. You go girl, be a boss, babe, and go be independent mm-hmm. and make your money. Well, with two independent people who don't have an interdependent mindset, then it's all me, me, me. I thought one thing that was interesting was looking at the, sta- the divorce statements when Tom was saying, well, my wife and I were ending this amicably and uh, we're going to work with the kids and be co-parents and everything. And she said, well, my you know, my kids and my Uh, ex and it was all about her. And so I think that was part of maybe that catalyst to destruction for them was that they're both, you know, high achievers and high earners, but it's all about them and their achievements. And so I think she could only stay on the sidelines so long before she's like, I've got to go, you know, make my mark again and become Giselle again and all those things. But I mean, that's something you got to look at when you're getting into these relationships, but for the rest of us, normal folks, 
I would say getting into relationships under the mindset of interdependence, of serving the relationship, serving the family. If you're going in there with a lot of this, what am I going to get? And Kirk and I talk about it quite a bit. Are you going into this relationship out of a mindset of service? How am I going to serve my partner? How am I going to serve this family and this relationship? If you're going into it with what am I getting out of it, then you're both at a detriment. You're going to bleed each other dry instead of adding to that well, and making you know all boats rise as it were. So, Ralph, do you think Giselle's going to have a big wake-up call when she gets out in the dating world? No. <laughs> Giselle will be just fine. <laughs> yeah. She may not get yeah. married again, but she'll have plenty of dates. Yeah, well, she'll, she'll, be, she'll, be dates. Just, she'll be just fine. Yeah. You or, know, or she'll it, do it, the J-Lo thing and have like five different husbands. There you, and, you some know, but, and some of them twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, uh, are we in a roundabout way exposing something that's not so um, nice to say about the institution of marriage, at least what it was in the past, which was it was based very much upon the dynamic of um, I, woman, in the case of you know the past so many generations, need you, man. That's mm-hmm. why this bond is strong. As long as that need is there and then we will remain a couple. And well, what what prevented women from saying, I don't need you anymore? Well, there was social constraints such as if I'm a woman and I divorce, I'm a social pariah. You know, in the 1950s, 60s, whatever, a single mother. Oh, good Lord. Right. No, I can't do that. Uh, no one will ever want to be with me. I'll die alone and I'll die starving and no one will be able to take care of my kids. That kept them within the marriage, working a little harder in the marriage. Um, financially, I need him. There was no such thing as necessarily alimony and child support. And what if I don't get to see my children? I won't be taken care of. So we've to- we've torn down a lot of those constraints as walls around this marriage. And voila, I'll be damned. Um, divorce has gone through the roof. Uh-huh. And, and a lot of people are saying, why am I in this institution again? What do I get out of it? And what are the benefits? And, women, and it doesn't hurt or it doesn't help rather that uh, women are now making more money than ever. Yeah. Um, the college well, grads are more women than men. And all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. So, well, just... and they're incentivized to get divorced nowadays too, because the state alimony, incentivizes them, yeah. alimony, child support, all the different things. So, I mean, for them, it looks like a good deal. They see their girlfriends getting divorced, and now she's making more money and, and living a better lifestyle after the guy. So she thinks she can do it, not thinking about all the work and everything else that goes into it as well. Right. And divorce, well, divorce is... as we know, divorce is catchy. Um, it's yeah. like a virus. Yeah, <laughs> so, I went. Yeah. I went through. A, I went through a divorce myself, and I don't think it was a coincidence that shortly after my wife left the home, the neighbor on this side left her husband, and then shortly thereafter, the neighbor on this side. I'm not joking. Right. On either side of us got divorced. I don't think I was a coincidence. So no, they, yeah, they, very, they, they stoke very, each other's fire. <laughs> yeah, well, very. So very interesting points there, which is so we've removed these social barriers around it. And so they don't now have this, these kind of guardrails socially, and they don't, they don't need us to take care of them. But what about the needs that they have mentally, emotionally, and within, within a relationship, those that have not gone away. Yeah. And, no, we're definitely and I seeing think that, I think aspect of that too. It, Go ahead, Kirk. And I think, you know, it, it does come down to needs, you know, do I need you and do you need me? And, and, you know, my mind, my, my thought, my philosophy is, I mean, I, I think we should need each other, uh, not need like air, maybe need like air conditioning, um, where, I mean, I can live, but man, my life is dope with you in it kind of thing. And so um, when you get to the point where your needs no longer align in terms of your relationship, 
then, you know, then that's when things begin to, you know, begin to disintegrate and somebody begins to say, well, you know what, maybe I can, it happens with every single boy band. I mean, every single, you know, <laughs> rock band. I mean, uh-huh. you know, when, when we don't need each other anymore, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, maybe I can go out and do my little solo career kind of thing. And, and you know, again, in this scenario, neither one of them really needed each other. You know, I don't, I don't think either one of them still need each other. And, you know, that. I'm pretty sure, you know, they'll figure out or they've already figured out the whole parenting situation, the property stuff. They don't, you know, I'll go out and buy a house just like the one better than the one we got now. You know, we got nannies and we got all this other kind of stuff. And so a lot of things that that, you know, us normal folk might argue about in court, they don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because they don't need each other in that kind of way. Um you know, it, it, but but I think relationally speaking, when your needs no longer align, then, you know, maybe it's somewhat natural, but unfortunate for somebody that one or both to say, you know, why are we here? Why are we doing this? You know, I mean, and, and maybe this is a natural outflow. Yeah, I'd see a lot of times, you know, when we look at the Institute of Marriage as it began, it was a survival need. And now it's no longer a survival need. So now it becomes more of a interdependent inter- inter- need, you know, choice. So you have to choose. Like I was watching uh, somebody talk about, you know, I choose to love her so that even when she's being chaotic or even when I'm not right, we still choose to love each other. And that's what we're seeing is a lot of this fairy tale Disney starshock lover syndrome mentality isn't panning out. And so anytime there's any rocks, you know, rocky waters, they choose to bounce instead of working on the relationship and actually creating a deeper foundation for interdependence and, and choosing to need each other and love each other. And it's because they have this idea of, you know, from romantic comedies and Disney. Oh, well, if anything happens, you know, if there's any arguments or any, you know, strife, then there must be something wrong. Maybe he's not the one or she's not the one. And so now it's going towards more of a we need to choose. And be very open about choosing that. We know that there's going to be these dramas and, and different dynamics that we need to work through. And that's going to create that love that we think we're supposed to get instantaneously nowadays. But we actually have to create it through interdependence and, and choosing to love each other in that way. So if I'm hearing so if I'm hearing you correctly, Jason, basically what you're saying is the institution of marriage until recently has been more transactional. We needed to, we needed to have, we need to enter into that transaction because we needed to survive. We need to figure, we need to figure out ways to, to get along and do it together. Mm-hmm. Now we've kind of don't need that quite as much. And so we've gone to the other end of the spectrum, which is, all right, we don't need each other from that transactional perspective. So I, I guess, Ralph, I'll ask you, do you think this will this will help to move back maybe to the middle where we're looking at this Mm -hmm. in more of a a holistic, maybe to take a religious term, uh, a covenant type relationship where we're actually looking to have it be something that is, is uh, deeper and intimate and interpersonal, like, uh, like Jason was talking about. Yeah, I I do predict we will see kind of the pendulum swing to uh, far more traditional conservative types of relationships here in the future. I think when we see the breakdown and this ain't working for anybody, I think we'll see an upsurgence where it will kind of be the cool hip thing to do just that. Um, But uh, back to the original point of the current state of marriage is uh, relatively new where my partner is my best friend in the whole world, my lover, my caregiver, my et cetera. That didn't exist for many generations. It just used to be we just have an agreement. We raise some kids and that's it. Right. And we're just going right. to stick it out through all this. Now we have to take care of all these 
different things, spokes on the wheel. That's relatively new. And voila, it's really, really hard to pull off. When one of those spokes doesn't work quite right, we're like, oh shit, this just must not be. Just well, and there's, there, there's other aspects too that we tend to forget about is back in the day, a lot of times marriages were arranged. So yeah. they were chosen. And, and it's interesting, you look at the statistics, arranged marriages tend to work out a whole lot more than these Western marriages nowadays. But there's also, like you're talking about the spokes on the wheel, there was also mother, father, grandparents, aunts, yeah. uncles. There was a whole village yeah. keeping everybody together and in line. And and you 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 had this whole village of people working together. And now we're all on our own. And like you said, realizing, oh, that's a lot of work. How can I do all this all on my own? Or how can even we two just do this together? And then you throw in the kind of feminist narratives and we don't need each other and everybody's hyper independent. They just all falls apart. Yeah, we kind of went from uh, we kind of went from I'm talking maybe this is I don't know anthropology or whatever the term is for study. I went to public school, so forgive me if I don't know all the right <laughs> stuff to say. But the study of kind of humanity back in the day, but you know, gradually speaking, in terms of history, you know, a lot of times these these marriages, whether arranged or or not, were role based. Now they're more soul based in terms of. You know, it's not so much I, I'm looking for, you know, she's looking for a provider protector per se. Um, and he's looking for, you know, want someone to fulfill the the domestic and family kind of things. It, it's not so much uh, what is your role in the in the in the relationship or in the marriage. It's um, for my soulmate. And I'm looking for somebody that, that helps amplify and magnify who I am on the inside, not what I need on the outside. And so, you know, but that I don't, I don't know that that transition has completely happened yet. So I think we're still in terms of generations. And so I think we're still kind of caught in the middle of all of that. Like, okay, you know, Hey, Hey Tom, I don't need you. I don't need your money. I don't need your status. I'm not impressed by, you know, your, your stadiums full of people with Super Bowl rings. Have you seen me on a runway? Like, I mean, you know, have you, do you know that I'm a freaking Brazilian supermodel? Like, you know, who's the lucky one here? And I think from his perspective, like most guys, the older we get, you know, I'm not so much looking for just the hot chick. Like there's got to be more than that, right? I need some peace in my life. I need somebody that's going to compliment, you know, the 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 things that that I might be doing in terms of my bigger mission as a man. And so all those things kind of feed into the soul of who I am. And so I, I don't know that that transition has completely happened yet from role to soul, but but either way, I think, you know, it's really complex in terms of what each other is looking for in terms of that that relationship and what the current marriage looks like these days. Well, so then how do we reconcile what you just said with the role, you know, the role to soul, but also with what what Ralph said earlier, which is that 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 book Dataclism from the the founder of OK Cupid, who where he talks about all these statistics that there's the the small percentage of men getting all of the women. How how do you reconcile that? Because that, to me, that's a, a contradiction, right? We also have we, access. We also have access to more people than than we have over history. I mean, we you know when have there has there ever been a generation that can meet a, a mate by swiping? Right. I mean, like you, you, I remember the first time I joined a dating app, I was like, oh my God. I mean, there, you know, I, I was like so a fat many. kid at a buffet, man. It's like Candyland, I mean, right? I, I was like, I was like a chubby kid at Golden Corral, man. Like, <laughs> I have 
the the big kid in Willy Wonka's factory, man. I'm eating it all. I'm like, dude. I mean, I, it was ridiculous, man. Gluttonous completely. So there's never been a generation that has had access to so many other people. I mean, outside of my circle, outside of my people that I interact with. And so, I mean, again, those, those complexities, man, it just makes it, I mean, exponentially more difficult to just stay sing, single-minded in the context of a relationship. Yeah. And there's just yeah, way man. too many options. I mean, you look at before social media, what was the number one factor in relationships? It was proximity, location, location, location. Mm-hmm. Now you have this little device in your hand and you can go looking for trolling all over the world. You can go mm-hmm. look on dating apps all over the world. You can, oh, the, the women in America are, are too troublesome. So I can go to Thailand and Singapore or, you know, Brazil and Colombia. There's there's too many options. And like most of us, we have too many options. We just get brain fried. We don't have any real focus anymore. Right. But Ralph, how do we, how do we, so I understand all that and I agree with all that, but how do we reconcile that 20% of the guys are getting 80% of the women? If what Kirk says is that they're looking from role to, to, to mm. salt because it doesn't feel like that, right? If they're only looking for the top twenty percent, they're the you know the 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 greatest looking guys, the highest achieving guys. To hear the rest of this episode and access the corresponding resources, visit thedivorcedadvocate.com and become a member of our community. It's free to join and will provide you with the resources you deserve as a divorced or divorcing dad. Thank you for listening. God bless, and I'll talk with you next week.